Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Before I introduce my next guest, I'm going to tell you exactly what we're going to talk about, and you'll probably guess who it is by the end of it. We're going to talk about how to bulletproof your cash flow, how to develop a resilient mindset. We're going to talk about the real estate market and the real estate mindset to have in 2021. And we're going to talk about how we can use evidence-based techniques during a crisis to manage your emotional state. And believe me, this man knows how to pivot during tough times, as well as cognitive behavioral therapy to handle stress and anxiety, including the three mental techniques that people can use immediately just to short circuit any anxiety and to build emotional resilience. We're going to talk about how to remain positive in a negative situation, how to eliminate catastrophic thinking and how to not sweat the small stuff. And, pardon the French, we're going to talk about how to use the shit in your life to help you grow and how to stop watering dead plants. And on that note, welcome Tom Panos. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because it it has been 14 months we were up on stage together at Upgrade Your Life 2020 where you interviewed David Goggins and I remember that there was 400 people so it was quite an intimate event by your standards 400 people turned up to watch and listen to David Goggins but I reckon all 400 walked out talking about Tom Panos because of your pure honesty in the way you interviewed him, in the way you exposed your vulnerability to connect with him. So for me, it's 14 months has been a long time to have this conversation because we never did get the talk after the event. You're an extremely busy guy. You're a real estate influencer, the highest order in Australia, especially in New South Wales. You're a trainer, a real estate coach. You're an auctioneer, an author, a public speaker. You're the founder of Real Estate Gym with so many subscribers. You're the producer of the Million Dollar Agent podcast as well. And on top of that, you're the father of two beautiful girls. Correct. Yes. So everyone that I speak to in real estate knows who Tom Panos is. And it's incredible because you opened your first real estate office at the age of 22 and you've been immersed in the industry for 30 years now and on top of that I mean you have a master's degree in management and coaching psychology you teach agents how to attract business and not just chase it which I really love you also have weekly coaching videos in real estate which is watched by over 20,000 agents which is quite phenomenal and I have to confess that I do drop your name every now and then when (laughs) I'm looking at buying a property because it's a tough market out there in real estate for a buyer and agents they're running around trying to make sense of which purchaser they should connect with because they're getting offers, ridiculous offers uh, on property. So I hope you don't mind. I'll drop your name every now and then. I, I get, Sam, I get it. I, and I understand that it's, the market's been so hot that real estate agents spend their time chasing listings, getting stock, because the buyers, there's a plethora of them. So often they neglect buyers. And I can understand what you mean. By yeah. You're sitting there, you just feel like I'm one of thousands of people looking to buy and that needs to be 
changed a bit because the markets don't stay like this forever and buyers are important. Absolutely. So you're joining us today to dive deep into some areas to do with wealth, health. You're one of those people that have a just a broad wisdom about how you view life. I don't know where that comes from and I don't know whether you appreciate that innate wisdom that you have, that you share, that all your followers just love about you. It's a no BS, rip the band-aid off, tell it like it is. Were you always like that or did you develop that sort of mindset? It's almost like you see things with such clarity that others just miss. What Thank if- you, Sam. Thank you for, for saying that. I think in recent years I've returned back to the source and what that means is that in terms of money and my relationship to money is we didn't have much when we started off. I was yeah. uh, brought up in the Canterbury Bankstown area, Belmore Lakemba to be specific, the suburbs that I was at. And I always thought to myself, if I made a lot of money, that I would be happier. But I've worked out that money will help you arrive at your problems better than not having money. But I no longer now have my self-worth linked to my net worth. I've learned that they're not aligned. And that's happened coming back to the source. So that's having had no money, then having money, then having problems with money, then working out, Sam, that I'm not going to be happier incrementally with every dollar I make. So in recent years, I've become to realize that I'm a lot happier with seven to eight hours sleep, daily exercise, eating the food that I choose to eat, not having arguments with the 10 people closest around me in Mm. my life. And then everything else seems to be so much better if those things are met. So what is the source? What does that mean to you? The source is, and we're talking about off camera, about a demographic of people that I can't relate to. The source is not spending your time and energy worrying about what you look like versus how you feel like. So when you're young, you're not so obsessed about the views and opinions of others, right? Right. You're just you. You do things that make you happy. You don't do things that you hate, right? Yes. And then you sort of enter the world and then you begin to realize, hey, there's this bit of this competition going on. People are judging you on things like assets or status, your reputation, and you then let go of what really makes you happy and then you put a lot of time and energy into these things and then pleasing others pleasing others but trying to get the approval of others yes and then you begin to realize hey there's a price to pay for that it's difficult putting a mask on every day to meet the agenda of other people and there comes a day where you just say i'm just sick and tired of having to be sick and tired i'll just be myself and people don't have to like you and you don't have to care that to me is an awakening for many people people don't have to like you and you don't have to care and from there you can move forward with your life not so obsessed about the comparison what do they think of me i don't know who knows it may be in 10 years time we're having a conversation sam and i'll think differently but for the last few years that's where i'm at that's a beautiful place to be Um, after the david goggins event that you put on that great event was three months before COVID. yes i had recently been going through treatment at that time since COVID started which is weird because i think a lot of people have been stressed during COVID. COVID clarity came to me it's been fantastic i stopped traveling I started waking up later. I started eating food that I select to eat what I want instead of what is given to me. At On a, the run. I had time. Do Bikram yoga, do other sports, Orange Theory, which is like F45, 
running at the Bay Run. And at the moment, life has been as good as it's been for a long time. I'm still a little bit sad about the death of my young brother because it's been two years and a bit now. But I haven't had any treatment for quite some time now. Right. So for most of our listeners who don't know what you're talking about, you had treatment for cancer three times. Over how many years did you battle cancer? Diagnosed in 16, 18, but originally in 2006. That's when I first met you. Correct. Yeah. So, so Sam, it's been 15 years, three times, a lot of treatment, three diagnoses in total, because I have calculated them. And the reason I calculated them is my doctor said to me, when COVID started, he says, I don't want you to get COVID. And he goes, you're young, and I know that you do a bit of exercise, but you're immune suppressed. And he said, so you need to understand, you can be healthy, but immune suppressed, which means that if you get a virus, your body gets stretched. And then I said, what makes you think I'm immune suppressed? They go, can we do a test? He goes, we can test your white blood cell count. Yes. And that can give us a, an indicator. But he goes, as far as I'm concerned, you're the most heavily treated person I've ever had in my life. And that freaked me out. Because this guy, a doctor at RPA Lifehouse, I said, in your whole life. He goes, I've never had it. I think you would have had 250 cancer treatments. So then, Sam, what I did is mm. I got my diary and I started... Some of the dates were in Outlook. Other times I'd used a manual diary in 2006. Yes, yes. So then I just quickly calculated. It's 305. 305 cancer treatments between chemotherapy, radiation, antibody therapy, stem cells taken out, and maintenance therapy, and then immunotherapy. So in total, 300 times I've gone in and they've injected stuff in or have radiation. So, so with your permission then, can I play a snippet from your interview with David Goggins for our listeners who didn't attend Upgrade Your Life because this hasn't been published before, where you share that moment with him? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, David, firstly, I want to thank you, and it's going to be a short thank you. I want to tell you, I, I wasn't a, a person that was a, a follower or a user or consuming your content <laughs> And when I said uh, yes to the interview from Sam, um, uh, I was at a different stage in my life. Cut a long story short, I just finished uh, cancer for the second time. I recovered for the second time. And then um, during the months that I'd recovered, my little brother, who was age 41, who was my closest friend, the only sibling I have, uh, died. Um, and uh, um, to, to top it all off, three days before he died, I had a cancer relapse again so you could imagine the the diary go forward plan was you know funeral bury your brother keep your mum sane and um and then thinking I've got to go back into chemo to fight for my life for the third time on that first chemo session I for the first time ever I cried because I just thought to myself this is just overwhelming I can't I can't do it again and uh, I had a bunch of chemo nurses come to my station and uh, they sort of got the picture what had happened. And what I was really sad about, David, was I was picturing my brother who'd been in the chemo ward himself and he knew he was going to die. And I just, got, I just got really sad thinking to myself, he endured this and we knew he was going to die and here I was. And um, all I can say to you is that on the second session I went there um, because I knew this interview was coming, and to be quite honest with you, I was keeping my fingers crossed, not only to meet you, but to actually be alive, to actually do it. And I remember listening to your audio book, 
and the tears stopped. And I listened intently. And who I thought you were and who you were were two different people. I thought to myself, this is some fucking... You are a maniac, but this is some maniac that's not smart, right? (laughs) And I was listening. And I stopped crying. And I'll never forget my chemo nurse. She came up and she said, Tom, keep listening to what you're listening. And I have to tell you, that was the moment, listening to that three or four hours of the audio book, which, by the way, I think is even better than the written book because what you've done is a world first and you've controlled your content and you've said, fuck off to publishers and you said, I'm going to do it the way I'm going to do it. So you've got a mate of yours reading it and then you chime in and that chiming in, for some reason, David's... I said to myself, my current situation is not my final destination. I said to myself, here I am right now, they're difficult roads, but they're going to lead to beautiful destinations. And I want to thank you for that. So that was a really remarkable moment and a highlight from Upgrade Your Life. Not just for me, but a lot of people that had never heard of Tom Panos. Obviously, there was a lot of people in the industry, in my tribe, lawyers, bankers, mortgage brokers. And mortgage brokers at that time just started learning about who Tom Panos is and your impact in the real estate market. I can tell you the impact that was felt by people. You didn't hang around long after that, but everyone came up to me and said, who's this Tom Panos and where did he come from? It was just real and raw and authentic. And I just want to thank you for that moment. I never got to thank you for just... Thank you, Sam. And thank you for the opportunity to... I mean, it would have had a mile long deep of people wanting to interview David Goggins because when you booked him, he wasn't the flavour of the month, but by the time he went on stage, he was... Number one speaker in the world. Number one speaker in the world. And I was interviewing him and... That was an absolute privilege. and I had actually an epiphany. I remember one of our friends, Bernard Desmond, said you were in London. And he said, oh, I mentioned who David Goggins was. And he said, oh, it's funny because I just spoke to Tom. Or maybe he texted you and you texted him and you were listening to his book at the time. And then I'm a very visual person. I do a lot of creative visualization inadvertently. When I meditate, my mind wanders. I saw you and him on stage. And I thought to myself, because I was going to interview him at the time. And I thought, this is the perfect person. And this is one of many moments. There was a lot of crack-up moments on stage as well where interaction with you and him. You obviously had good intuition. You've sat there and in your head you've just um, thought it through and manifested a little bit about me and you've done a little bit of research and you probably in your head thought to yourself, hey, this is going to go off. And he's going to love you. And he did after the event. I said to him, I hope you don't mind, because he did not know. He thought I was going to interview him. Yeah. And he's like you. He says, I don't want anything rehearsed. I don't need to know the topics. You can ask me any question you like. And so I just said, do you want to know who's going to interview the format? He said, no, just bring it on. But he did think that it was me, because all our Skype sessions prior to that was about me talking to him, saying this is what the event's about. So I think his assumption was that. But then after it, I said, I hope you don't mind. He said dude i love tom he absolutely loved you and he puts you up there like when i spoke to him with joe rogan like he mentioned because he mentioned joe rogan on stage yes, when you yes, asked him who yes, do you I trust remember, most i remember and he speaks very favorable of joe rogan he's a good guy well sam the weird thing is david goggins on the surface is not the sort of guy i wouldn't find him as appealing as the David Goggin lovers out there. Because I'm not the type, Sam, that, look, there's a lot of people privately that are heroes. 
and they're not running yeah. ultra marathons, right? And they're not served in the Navy SEALs, right? But they actually do heroic acts and yeah. you see them. So I've never been one that actually goes to a conference and says, wow, look at that guy. That guy did 7,000 push-ups. It's not that that draws me, but what draws me about this guy here is he's done all of that. But the real thing is, if you dig deep and look at his life, he did have darkness and suffering in his life. Yes. And he is an image that will give hope to every person out there, whether your problem is that you're in a generation of generation of unemployment in a part of Australia, that means that it's really hard to break out of it. He gives you hope. Whether you're a person that had a dysfunctional family, he gives you hope. Whether you're a person that's had illness at a young age, he gives you hope. He gives hope. And that's what I think fundamentally people want in life, hope. So how did you turn that negative situation you know, around in that moment where you were feeling like you were overwhelmed? You'd been through it twice before. You brother just died, your mother's in a dark place because of that. Many people, I don't know if I would have, I would have collapsed under that sort of pressure. But, and that's what draws me to you because people who do heroic things like that, like he said, they're not the David Coggins, but it is heroic. So what lessons can we, for those people that are listening right now, going through their own adversity, it may not be cancer three times or losing a loved one, but in their mind, it's a you know, tough situation. So what techniques do you have? I don't want to use the word techniques because it sounds too textbook, but what do you say to yourself in that moment? The first thing you say to yourself is you've got to try and say nothing. You've got to try and get to a spot. What's going to be causing a lot of the grief, anxiety, stress is going to be the little voice inside of your head that's saying things like, this is disaster, this is the end, it can't get worse. You've got to, Sam, stop it. You've got to press the pause button and you've got to be able to listen to the voice for what it is. And what is required is that you move away from catastrophic thinking and awfulizing and then move into being more logical. And for me, it was press the pause, stop the voice, think about it, Tom. You've had cancer once before. You've had cancer two times. You're not the only person on the planet that's had a sibling that's died. This is not an original problem. Millions have lived before you and millions will live after you that have had this issue. Some have had bigger issues. So what you do is you make sure that you take yourself out of a state to feel like you're the only person on the planet that is ever in the situation. The second thing you do, Sam, you recap on the resources you've got and you say, I'm 53. I've survived 100% of my darkest days already. So I've got a track record of survival, Yep. right? So you know that you can go into this knowing that you've already survived 100% of your darkest. Yep. And probably the third thing I'd say is, and I've learned this, if you can change your physiology, you can change your mental state, right? The worst time in the world to go for a run is when you've just had the worst news. But the reality, that's the most important time because there's enough research to say that if you can change, like if you look at cognitive behavioral therapy and you look at the triangle, the typical CBT triangle, you've got feelings, 
thoughts, behavior. If you're feeling bad, it is hard to change your feelings, right? Feelings are not easy to change. You can attempt to change your thoughts and say, think positive, think positive. But that in itself is hard because to think positive actually requires an awareness that things aren't good now, which makes you focus on that as well. So what's the easiest? You change your behavior. Because if you change your behavior, you change your actions, which is something that's controllable. Yes. Whether it's you do some meditation, which I know you like to do, you do go do some Bikram yoga, go for a run, you actually change your feelings, right? I'm not saying you want to feel fantastic all of a sudden, but you want to take away a bit of the sharpness of the anxiety. Yes. You've got to take it down. A bit, little bit like taking some medication that takes it down, but without having the side effects of that medication. Absolutely. So instead of being caught in a negative loop of feeling shit, thinking shit and doing nothing. Correct. You do something, whether it's sweep the backyard, go for a run, scrabble, meditate, whatever it is. Yes. So change your physiology, then you change... You're recalibrating your chemistry, aren't you, when you're doing that? Correct. So the research, and this is not me saying it because I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist for that matter, but Sam, the research is very clear. If you look at that triangle, that loop, behavior, feelings, thoughts, the great news is the diagram doesn't have to go one specific way. Yes, yes. You can actually jump in and hack the diagram. Yep. And the easiest one to hack is behavior. behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I use running as therapy effectively because at the end of the day sitting you know in a legal office behind a desk on a laptop for hours on end you internalize a lot of energy which then turns into stress over time it can turn into anxiety so what i learned is as soon as i get home before i eat before i do anything just burn all this negative energy this stress by going for a jog and when I come back, I notice that my cortisol has been replaced by endorphins. Yes. And then before that jog, I'd be in a bad state of mind where I'm quick temper or want to argue. The thing is about you catch yourself thinking like that. And you say, I'm in a bad mood. Go for a jog, change your behavior. I come back after that jog, different person. And what you said earlier, I, I loved what you said in your own way. You were saying you are not your thoughts. You are that inner essence that catches your thoughts. So when people, sometimes they get lost in the script, they don't realize they're the writer, producer, director of this script in their mind, and they think that's who they are. In fact, it's not who they are. Your inner essence is that little voice, like you said, that catches yourself thinking, hey, I'm being anxious, I'm being stressed, I'm being angry. And that's a beautiful distinction to make, really, because a lot of people don't realize that, especially in that moment. Sam, in the moment, you're in the frame. So if you just picture a photograph, when you're in the photograph, you can't see the photograph. You're in it. Yep. Right? You're in this photograph. You can't see it. What I'm talking about is stepping out of the photo and looking at it yep. because when you're in the frame you can't see the frame so it's having this ability to be the witness of the frame and it's not easy sam i have to say the shit's going down right and you can't go off and exercise because you simply can't you're in stuck mode and you've got the negative loop there right we're talking about things that Like often people know, you know what, I should do it. But in the darkness, in the hole, right? Ironically, when you're in a hole, the smartest thing to do is to stop digging, right? Yep. But 
Most people don't. So that's the catastrophizing, as you called it. This might be a little bit personal, but so when you say you're in that hole, when you're going through chemotherapy, is that pain? Was that hole for you mental pain or physical pain? We hear about chemotherapy being really tough. And I know someone that works for us here that had breast cancer and she went through a tough time and she could only tell me about it, but never quite understand what that pain is. You went through it and I'm closer to you so I can ask you, what it, for people that are listening that don't know what chemotherapy is. So it depends on the drug. Mm-hmm. So there have been times with cancer treatment where physically it's been uncomfortable, but I can cope with it. But there are certain drugs, bendamustine's one, which was the one I took from 2018, 2019. Yep. Bendamustine is dark. It's mustard gas. And it was used, ironically, a chemical was used... In the Second the, World War, wasn't it? In the Second it? World War. Yeah, by the Germans. Yeah, yep. kills everything. So that's a good thing. It's poison that kills poison. But along the way, it kills everything. So that's been the biggest advancement in cancer treatment is immunotherapy, which allows you to take something that won't kill everything. It, it'll yes. help your immune system kill the cancer, but it still doesn't necessarily have the success rate of actually just doing a pest termination of the whole house where you just say, that's it. We're yes. just gonna just- Blast them, everything. Blast yeah. everything. And that's dark. It's dark because it's the only time I ever think to myself, I want to commit suicide. The only ever time in my whole life where I think to myself, I'd rather be dead than alive. But it goes after three days, Sam. Three days later, you come out of the fog and you think, okay, we're out. I'll get another two weeks before I go back in there. Because you roughly need about, Mm. depends on the drug, you roughly need two to three weeks for your body to recuperate to have another treatment. Right. Right. You can't keep having it because you die of treatment, right? How did you feel in the lead up to knowing that you have to go through it again? The first time would have been a shock because you'd never gone through it. But the second time, how did you get in the right headspace to go through it again? Because you know what you, it's coming. Your high days are day four when you've come out of it and you realise, brilliant, that's it. And you know that you've got another 14 days that it's good. Then you start getting a little bit anxious the last two to three days. It's a little bit, best way to describe it, it's a bit like you've had a big holiday. Yeah, yeah. And then you realise, you know what, I'm going back to work. Yep. And then the day before, not happy because you know that you're going to suffer and it's not something that, it's not your fault. What did you do in those three days where it's at its worst, do you recall? What do you do? Additional cannabis help makes it bearable. Sometimes... I would write. I would write my thoughts on paper Mm. because I would think to myself, if I can take my thoughts on paper, it's a little bit like the frame, stepping out of the frame. And I would write things like, my current situation is not my final destination. I would write, what's coming is better than what's gone. I would write, the future is going to be better than the past. I would write what I'd be... So I'm obsessed... Every time I've got diagnosed, I'm obsessed with mm. the day of the final treatment. Because right. that's what I visualize. I visualize 13th of March. Just picture what's going to happen. You're going to walk out of here. You're going to rip the bandages. You're going to get a PET scan. It's going to be positive. You hang on to things that you bring the future forward. Beautiful. Bring the future forward. Yeah, I love that. So you've already stepped into that state where it's finished it's happened and you you feel like you're cured and you're effectively manifesting that aren't you yes well i'm hoping that manifestation has worked you can never be 100 percent certain i'm the drugs have been integral right yes but there's research clearly out there with placebo effect to say that 
the way that you think about a situation is going to highly totally affect it. So we know that's not blah blah, just new age talk. That's scientific placebo effect. Yep. That's why they've got double blind studies. That's why they don't tell the person whether they've got the sugar or the no sugar or whether they've got the drug or the no drug because they know that the brain will affect the final outcome. So Very powerful. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. so bringing the future forward for me, Sam, if you fundamentally say, I think that there's a lot of things that I struggle with. I'm not typically fantastic at strategy, right? And there's other things that I'm, I'm not. I was never very good at English or history, right? But I'm good at bringing the future forward. And it's a useful skill to have because if you're a salesperson, you're making phone calls. People are rejecting you. No, not interested, not interested, not interested, not interested. Man, you need to have persistence and grit to keep making those calls because you're getting a lot of knockbacks. What do you do? Bring the future forward. You keep reminding yourself, guess what? You know what? 3%, that's all I care about. 3% conversion rate. And if I get that, I've got myself the car, the house, whatever drives you. If you can bring the future forward, right? If you can do that, it can also help you, Sam. Bringing the future forward can help you from not doing things that you shouldn't do. Example, cocaine. I mean, one of the attractions of cocaine Mm. is that you get rewarded instantly. Yes. It's the opposite to bringing the future forward, right? Yes. If you think about it, right? So what you do is you've got to turn around and say, hang on a second, if I have this line now, let's have a look at what it actually means. It means that I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to have an argument with my family. I'm going to potentially start liking it. I'm going to do more of it. And then what it could actually mean is in six months' time, I'm doing two, $3,000 a week in cocaine. I lose my family. I become paranoid. I become dependent on it. I no longer enjoy it, but I just use it to get by, like water. So if you can bring the future forward, you're walking past Krispy Kremes, bring the future forward. It's going to be good eating it right now. But let's have a look at it. I'm going to be staring at the mirror in three months' time thinking, what have I done to myself? So it's a useful skill. Absolutely. So did you continue working during those times? I worked. I, I, I didn't work for the three, four days. And then I would work for the two weeks. Because you have a lot of people that subscribe to the real estate gym and a lot of followers. How did you keep working? How did you keep I, grinding away? And Listen, it's not like I, I did it more not for commercial reasons. Yeah. I did it more because my brain has a tendency to look for issues when I don't have things to do in my life. Yes. So you're motivated by goals, purpose. Getting up and working gives you meaning, gives you a purpose. And Well, Sam, think about it. If you're depressed about something and something's worrying you, if you're immersed in doing something, let's assume, I don't know, you love Rubik's Cubes. Right? Yep. I don't. Anyway, you love Rubik's Cubes. You're sitting there doing a Rubik's Cube. Your attention's on the Rubik's Cube. Your brain has a temporary break yes. from the suffering. Yep. So for me, I have passion in my work. It's effortless. It's lucrative and fun. It's my model. Effortless, lucrative, fun. So when I'm operating in that state, I don't have space to participate in problems. So I I, I did it because it was a mental health hack for me, Sam. Beautiful. Thank you for listening to part one of my podcast with Tom Panos. In next week's podcast, we're going to be talking about what's 
fueling the post-COVID boom in real estate, the qualities of the top real estate agents, and we get personal and we discuss how he judges close friends and what he looks for in a friendship. We also discuss the people that Tom admires the most, and he shares his very personal sliding door moment. So tune in next week where we really ramp things up with Tom, get really personal. So it's a kaleidoscope of topics, including the difference between homes and units, the COVID vaccine, you name it, we discuss it from one of Australia's incredible thought leaders. So until next week, as always, live consciously, my friends. 